Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. As we approach the end of series two, I thought it was about time that I did another solo episode. After all, the last one that I did was way back in series one, episode one, when I shared my sorry tale of how I got hooked on the booze. During the other episodes that uh, we've been doing, we've heard from other members of our community that have very bravely shared how they became alcohol dependent. So how come all these lovely people in our community got hooked? Hooked on the booze. After all, we're all intelligent and highly functioning people. How do we go from just liking alcohol to wanting alcohol and finally to needing alcohol? Well, today I'm delving a little deeper into the science of alcohol dependency. I'm going to explain the vicious cycle that's set up by two key hormones in our body. It's a case of the dynorphine versus the endorphins, which sounds like something out of Star Wars, but let me explain. So the science behind alcohol dependence. Let's look at how years of regular drinking will actually rewire our brains. Now many of us start drinking in our 20s and our 30s. We're building our careers, we're growing our families. It's busy, intense period. All of our friends seem to be drinking as well. Lots of socialising going on. And it's all completely normal. We don't think twice about it. And then we get into our 40s and sometimes 50s, if you're a late developer like I was, and we discover, surprise, surprise, that drinking copious amounts of wine actually isn't very good for our health and that there are significant health risks. So we read about these health risks and then we discover that the safe limits of alcohol, the recommended limit is a bottle and a half of wine a week, and then we get scared because we realize that sometimes we've been knocking that back in an evening. So we decide to make a change. But the frightening thing is that it's not as easy as we expected. If we decide to cut down, for example, it's extremely difficult. Maybe we'll try and quit altogether, and that's tough too. In my case, I spent 10 years trying to control my drinking and in the end uh, I gave up and just ditched the stuff completely, which was much easier, but that's another story. The harsh truth is that if you drink consistently over a period of about 20 years, it's almost guaranteed that you'll develop a problem with alcohol, a dependency. 20 years might sound like a long time, but in fact, um, you know, it takes you from 20 years old to 40 years old. And those of us who are a little bit older now, we can tell you that passes in the blink of an eye. 
So let's have a look at this science. Let's unpack what goes on in our brains after two decades of drinking. Well, there's three things happening, but before we unpack those, the first thing you need to know is that alcohol creates an endorphin spike in our brain. And our brain isn't too happy about this because our brain likes to think, keep everything in balance. It likes to maintain homeostasis, as it's called. And when it sees this artificial chemical spike, it immediately produces a hormone called dynorphin to dampen that spike down, to calm everything down a bit. So we get our nice buzz that we get from alcohol, that's the endorphin. But then, as you know, sadly, that buzz, it only lasts for about 20 minutes because by then the dynorphin's been produced to, to calm things down a little bit. So what do our drinkers do? Well, we trot off and get another drink, don't we? Because we want that buzz to be maintained. So then our brain thinks, okay, it's going to be like that, is it? And it produces more dynorphin. And then we get another drink. And then we get more dynorphin. And so it goes on. And the result of this is that over time, we need more alcohol to get the same effect, to get the same buzz. And in fact, towards the end of my drinking career, as I call it, I could drink two bottles of wine and feel nothing. And that's, that's scary. So now let's look at those three things that are happening. Well, the first thing that happens is alcohol causes the endorphin spike, which I explained. But what also happens is that you get a dopamine hit. Now that's quite nice as well. That's, we all know dopamine is the feel-good hormone. But what you may not know is that dopamine is also what the scientists are calling these days the learning molecule. It not only makes you feel good, but it associates everything that's going around you while you're feeling so good. So, for example, if you have a favourite bar that you stop in on your way home from work, for example, and you, you tend to meet the same people there, the same music is playing, the dopamine will learn to associate all that with you feeling good. So what happens then is the dopamine creates what we now call triggers. So you might be walking past that bar with no intention of going in really, but the, the trigger will, will be pulling you towards the door. So we all know what triggers are and okay, it's no, no big deal, we get triggered and those of us that have stopped drinking, we still have a, the odd glimmer of a trigger, but they, they fade with time. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Okay, so the first step is triggers are created. Now, the second thing that happens is a bit more serious because your brain is going to start preempting these triggers. So let's go back to our bar. If you're walking near your bar and you're planning to walk past, your brain is going to start getting excited because it's anticipating the drinks that happen when you're, you're in this area. So your brain, which obviously is highly intelligent, starts thinking, oh, she's going to get those drinks that we're going to have a big uh, chemical spike in a moment. Let's, let's calm it all down in advance with some dynorphin. And then when, when it comes, it won't be such a serious buzz. So what happens is that dynorphin then makes us feel kind of low. 
So we will actually need to go in the bar and have a drink to feel normal again, because that's what dynorphin does. It brings us down. Now, the third and the most dangerous thing is when our bodies become so reliant on alcohol that we can no longer produce dopamine naturally. And the consequence of this is, is catastrophic because it means that we lose interest in everyday pleasures. Walking in the park, chatting to a friend, reading a book, just doesn't hit the spot anymore. All that interests us is that chemical high from alcohol. And even that's going to stop working and we'll need the alcohol just to feel normal. Now that really is the description of alcoholism and I don't think any of us want to go there. So let's summarise here. There's, there's three things going on in your brain that is creating this dependency. The first thing is that the dopamine creates triggers because it's associated your drinking habits and that nice feeling with certain events, certain people, certain places. So what happens is it starts preempting triggers. And that means that you'll feel low if you don't have a drink. So if you're walking past the bar and you feel a bit low, you'll think, oh, I just need to go in and have a drink, have a little pick-me-up, because that's the dynorphin and that's how it's making you feel. And thirdly, most seriously, your body will stop producing dopamine. So you can't enjoy everyday pleasures. Your dopamine will only be released when you're drinking alcohol. So what happens is your natural dopamine receptors will get a bit lazy. They'll think, oh, okay, she's gonna be drinking to make her feel good. So she doesn't really need us to do anything. So we might as well put our feet up. And if that's happening for years and years, when you do stop drinking, you're going to have to wait for those dopamine receptors to come out of retirement because they've almost forgotten how to do their job. But I can reassure you that uh, they do come back to life again, but I'm afraid it can take a while. It can take a few months. And that's why people in early sobriety often feel a bit flat. It takes a while for the dopamine to be naturally created again. And that's why it's so important to take periodic breaks from alcohol. You need to test your dependence. Because if you can't go for a significant period without alcohol, then it means that this process is beginning. You know, the triggers are there, the brain is preempting triggers, and your natural dopamine is getting lazy. But if you keep taking regular breaks, then you're keeping everything in balance and your natural dopamine will carry on working. So if you think you need to take a break, then please think about joining Tribe Sober. We always put our new members on a 30-day alcohol-free challenge and then we review their progress with them at the end. So just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Or you may prefer to just do a challenge. You can do our 66-day challenge. Just go to tribesober.com and hit our services and there you'll see challenge. And our challenges always come with audio, online and community support. And the joy of a 66-day challenge is that you're building a whole new neural pathway. 
So to round off this episode, I'm going to read a few of the emails to you. These are the emails that we send out during the 66 days to keep you on track and to get you thinking, really. They're just a bite-sized piece of information. And we just want to stimulate your thinking around alcohol because I think there's so, so many myths around alcohol. We give it far too much credit these days, don't we? We think it's we can't possibly be happy without it, which is nonsense. It's, it's not a magic potion. So let me just read a couple of uh, emails because it will give you a flavour for what the challenge is like. So I'm quite fond of my first one. It's called Be a Rebel. I always thought I was quite rebellious. And when I started drinking heavily when I was a teenager, I thought, oh, you know, I'm so rock and roll. But in fact, these days, you know, if if you drink a lot, then you're a bit of a sheep, you know, because everyone is drinking a lot. And the real rebels are not drinking anything at all. So that's the spirit of this one. So let me read you this one. Be a Rebel. A lot of this sobriety game is psychological. That's why our workshops are based on creating a mind shift rather than coming from a place of deprivation and willpower. When you think of the billions spent by the liquor industry to brainwash us into believing that we need their products, it's little wonder some of us get hooked. The wine industry have done an exceptional job at targeting the ladies, so that some of us feel it's quite impossible to have a full and happy life without it. And then you have the fact that drinking alcohol has become so normalised. It makes its appearance at just about every event from a christening to a funeral. Not to mention the fact that alcohol is chemically designed to be addictive. It's the lubricant that oils our social life. It's the gasoline of fun. Or is it? How about we get a bit rebellious here and go against the grain, move out of our comfort zone and even defy social expectations a little? I know I started to drink because I just wanted to fit in. And yes, it takes a fair amount of confidence and courage to socialise sober and to dare to be different. But it does get easier. And we have so many alcohol-free choices available these days. So maybe it's time to rise above all that social conditioning. After all, we got wise about cigarettes. We now know they kill you and they're not particularly cool or sexy. The latest research on alcohol maintains that there is no safe level of alcohol. And if we want to be really healthy, then we may need to ditch the drink entirely. So let's get ahead of the game and see booze for what it really is, a poisonous trap. So that's one of the emails. I'm going to read you another one now called About the Buzz because that fits quite nicely with the the endorphin spike, you remember, because that's what creates the buzz. So let's learn a little bit more about that buzz. There is a cultural myth about alcohol that the more we drink, the better we'll feel. In reality, those first couple of drinks do indeed take you up. The body experiences an energising effect, creating a feeling of sociability and relaxation. That's why we love it so much. Those clever moderators will recognise that initial buzz. They'll enjoy it and then they'll switch to non-alcoholic drinks as they continue to enjoy their evening. However, those of us without an off switch will seek to deepen and increase the buzz 
so we'll continue to drink alcohol. Sadly, this is when the depressant and negative effects of alcohol are likely to click in, bringing us down rather than prolonging the high. The downer may come at the end of the evening with drunken tears. At 3am when you wake up feeling swamped with anxiety or in the morning with a good old-fashioned hangover. But it will come. That's the thing about alcohol and any other drug for that matter. There's a high price to pay for the buzz. A good thing to remember is that this euphoric high we get after two or three glasses of wine will only last about 20 minutes. And drinking more alcohol will only result in negative consequences. So use your 66 days to forego the chemical highs and work out what gives you a natural high instead. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Here's one about moderation. If you are one of those people who's always trying to moderate their alcohol intake to safe levels, i.e. one and a half bottles of wine a week, then the Sober Challenge may provide you with a very pleasant surprise. I spent an entire decade of my life trying and failing to moderate I had so many rules in place as to when I could and couldn't drink, it was exhausting. Then when I finally surrendered to the fact that I would never be able to moderate and would have to stop drinking completely, everything changed. I felt an enormous sense of relief. I felt calm and was so pleased to get the headspace to think about more interesting subjects than how many units I'd got left to drink that week. With the benefit of hindsight, I can see that I was never going to be able to moderate a mind-altering drug, a substance that's been chemically designed to be addictive. After all, we don't hear about people trying to moderate their heroin intake, do we? So for anyone who struggles to keep their alcohol consumption within the recommended limits, take some joy from your time of freedom, and you might just find you want to make your alcohol-free life permanent. The last email I'm going to read is the Frog Parable and that is again emphasising the importance of taking a break to make sure you don't end up like this poor frog. So the Frog Parable. When I was consulting in corporates I would often tell the parable of the frog when I was trying to convince an organisation that it had to change. The story goes like this. Throw a frog into a pan of boiling water and he'll use those strong back legs to leap out pretty damn quick. Place a frog in cold water in a pan which is heating gently on a stove and he'll get comfy and just sit there and carry on sitting there until the water heats up and he gets boiled alive. I realise that this parable can apply to drinking alcohol. Many of us drink for many years without any dramas but gradually some of us will ever so slowly get hooked. We will one day realise that we rarely have an alcohol-free day. We are quite happy to knock back a bottle of wine during an evening home alone and that most of our socialising seems to revolve around alcohol. 
The joy of having a trial separation for 66 days is that you get to see just how dependent you may have become. You can reflect on your usual relationship with alcohol and decide whether or not you need to make some changes. Okay, so I hope that's given you a a little taste, a flavour of the support that we offer the Sober Spring Challenge. Of course, the, the main thing, the main support comes from the community. There's nothing like a whole bunch of people going through a challenge like this. They're all on the same day at the same time. And yes, admittedly, people fall off the bus from time to time, but the the warmth of the group lifts them up and get them straight back on the bus, which is what matters. So do hop on to tribesober.com and have a look at the Sober Spring Challenge and see if it appeals to you. If you want to do a challenge anyway, just email us at janet at tribesober.com. And thank you for listening and please subscribe and share. See you next time. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.